Yeah, as you guys get settled in, we're going to get to uh, uh, God's Word here in Ezra chapter 3, and I'm going to give you a heads up because some of you are thinking, I'm not even sure that was a book. You're making stuff up, right? No, Old Testament, go find it. Ezra chapter 3 is where we're going to be going today. And I don't know about you, have you ever had a time where, where Scripture just really kind of, you know, it's just God kind of pinpoints something and just says, this is, this is what I'm trying to say to you. Um, I've had that experience many times. It doesn't happen all of the time, but sometimes Scripture really gets your attention. And uh, I was actually on a prayer retreat last winter. Uh, I tried to do a, a prayer retreat for a couple days, a couple of times a year, uh, and just kind of listening to the Lord and, and spending some extra time in Scripture. And I just was reading uh, God's Word and, and was in Ezra chapter 3. Uh, at that time... Uh, this series that we're in right now, we've been doing this, if you've been with us for a while, we've been spending the last couple months in this series called Rebuild, and that series had not been written yet at that point, or had, it was really just kind of in a dreaming phase that I was uh, sort of thinking through if the Lord would call us in this direction, but it was, it was passages like this one that we're going to look at today that was solidifying the Lord saying, yes, this notion of rebuild and this notion of the work that only God can do and inviting his restoration, so, this is so important for the church. This is so important for my people at this time. And so that, that this series actually started taking some shape around passages like this, partly because there are just so many scriptures that address the concept of building or rebuilding, and this is certainly one of them. Uh, today, uh, as we look at Ezra chapter 3, uh, this Old Testament passage um, is an interesting one, and I, and I need to give just a little bit of context, because as I was really trying to study the book, I realized this is an odd book to, to read and to, uh, to really understand. How many of you have read Ezra any time in recent? A few of you? A handful? Good. All right, good. So if you've read through, some of you read through Ezra recently, it, you'll find that it actually covers a time span of like a hundred years of history of God's people. And so the first six chapters of the book, Ezra is not even born yet. So it's like a retelling of things that have happened a like hundred years before he was ever even born. And so when you try to put the pieces together, because you may know that Ezra kind of couples with First Chronicles in terms of the history, but also with Nehemiah and the rebuilding efforts. But when you try to put all of the pieces together and say, okay, well, where was Ezra in, in Ezra chapter 3? He actually wasn't even born yet. Uh, so this is a retelling of some things that had happened. So just to give a little bit of context of where we're going. But I want to look at three things with you today. There's a deep well of information here. There's a deep well of things that I think the Lord could speak to our hearts. But I'm going to focus on three things. Two of them are promises, and one of them is an invitation. And so today we're going to look at a fresh start, the God of new beginnings. We're going to look at a firm foundation God, our constant amidst change. Those are the first two promises. And how many of you are glad? Can you just say, are you glad that God gives us fresh starts? Is anybody like with, with me on that one? We're going to dig into this a little bit more. But look, a fresh start is sometimes exactly what we need. And maybe even some of you today are saying, you know what? I, I need a fresh start in many areas of my life. Praise the Lord. One of his promises that he gives a fresh start. Uh, a firm foundation, our constant amidst change. And then, as you'll see very, very uh, evidently in our scripture, uh, the mix of emotion, and this is what we would call our invitation, looking to God in our joy and looking to God in our grief and sadness. 
And so you're going to see this mix sort of take shape here today. Today is the 12th and the next to last message in this series that we have entitled Rebuild, Experience God's Restoration. And that has continued to be my prayer for the church, my prayer for you today. I was up early this morning. I don't know. I think sometimes when I am wrestling with things in the, on, a, on a late Saturday night or an early Sunday morning, I think it's because you're wrestling with things. And the Lord is saying, I, I want you awake, I want you praying, I want you... So, so last night was one where sleep was, was less uh, than, than normal, but a lot of prayer uh, going into this. Does anybody sound like we're in a spaceship? I feel like I'm in a spaceship. If that continues, I'll just switch out. Someone can grab me a, a cordless uh, mic if, that's, uh, if that continues to be a problem. If it, if it balances, those guys kind of work a lot of magic there, so they'll be able to do that. So anyway, that's, that's been our prayer, that as we go through the Rebuild series that we would re- re- experience the restoration of God, that there are areas uh, in your life that need the restoring power of God. And, and as we're going to sort of unpack today, we're talking about something bigger than like what I can give you, bigger than what you can provide for yourself. All right, that's it. Let's get rid of this one. Uh, here we go. Hey, if this doesn't work, we'll go to the red one. I'm going to keep going. Wait till you see how I preach in the blue mic. It's, it's awesome. It's going to be great. Um, restoration of God, you know, that's, that's what we're praying, that's what we're asking. There's areas in your life that need the restorative power of God, like not your best efforts, not my best efforts, not the church's best efforts, but like we need the divine work of God, and today you're going to have opportunities to just simply say, Lord, these are the places where I need your divine restoration. That has been the theme of this series as we've gone through, and that's what we're talking about, rebuilding, not just getting our logistics back together, right? There's a piece of that, right? There's a, there's a certain element of saying like, hey, we got to figure out how to do church again. We got to figure out who's, who's doing what and who's manning what place. Like, those are important things, but the deep restoration work of God is the, the thing that he wants to do inside of you, not just through you or around you. So, um, read with me in Ezra chapter 3. You've had a few minutes to find that uh, in your Bible or smartphone. We're going to pick up in verse 10. Uh, the, 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 the context, again, is just that this is a rebuilding phase. The altar has been rebuilt. The people have come out of exile, and now they're beginning the work on the temple of God, which is going to be where the worship of God happens. And this is what it says in verse 10 of Ezra 3. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord... The priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel." And all of the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites, the heads of the father's houses, old men who had had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout From the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the shout was heard from far away. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. 
So I, I want to talk about what is an odd passage of Scripture in some ways, and yet powerful. I mean, there is some, some strangeness to it in that. When I first was kind of reading through this, or most recently reading through this, and it was catching my attention, going through it in my devotions, and I was like, wait a minute. What, what are the people doing here? Like, they're celebrating, but wait a minute, they're, they're crying, but some are, they're doing both at the same time, and it's sort of a confusing thing. You don't usually get a scenario like that. And we're going to get to kind of the mix of emotions in a couple of minutes, but I want to not miss this notion of a fresh start. The people of God are experiencing a new thing that God is doing. It says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward, the Levites with the symbols, to praise the Lord. So this is loud worship. This is, I mean, trumpets and cymbals is probably not like somber, introspective, we're just going to get sort of quiet and emo. I mean, this is like loud, we're going for it, we're making some, some noise to the Lord. This is, a, this is a big deal. And so they're celebrating this fresh start. And they're saying, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. Well, the theme of a, of a fresh start is one that is uh, one of the beautiful and common themes that you see all throughout Scripture. Uh, to Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's a fresh start. To the Philippians, Paul write, he who wrote, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. There's a process, and this process involves new things that God is doing. You're not done just yet. The psalmist said this. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord, Psalm 40. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me up out of a slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He put a new song of praise in my mouth. That's a fresh start. That is a God of new beginnings. Lamentation says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I mean, if we could just pause on a few of those verses for a moment... And just think about what that means. That means that you are not stuck in the mud of where you were, but God is saying, I'm pulling you out of the mud. He's in the business of doing that, putting your feet on the solid rock, putting a new song in your mouth. Psalm 40 has become a life passage for me. Because that's what Jesus did in my life. The places that I was stuck. And in the future, when I feel stuck, I know where I look to see him fulfill his promise. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. You have heard that and probably sung that if you've been around church things for a long, long time. But, I mean, I want you to think about that. That means when you got up out of bed this morning, before you put your feet on the ground, you were stepping into the mercy of God, fresh and new for you for today. The, the inexhaustible mercy and grace of God being poured out over your life. Great is your faithfulness. I mean, if it doesn't cause us on some level just to, just, to, just to pause and say, God, you are good. And that's exactly what the people of God are doing back in the Old Testament in this fresh start, God of new beginnings. They are celebrating a new thing that God is doing. 
Now, we've talked about, again, through this Rebuild series, experiencing God's restoration. And we're trying to be as practical as we can about saying, as God is restoring, as God is rebuilding, as God is calling you to that place of understanding where is your place of need, here is an amazing statement. We serve a God of new beginnings who builds on ancient promises. The same God that was being worshipped back in the Old Testament, the same God we're worshipping today and is still saying, I'm bringing new beginnings to my people. This is a fresh start, amazing promise. Now, I don't know, I started thinking about this idea. Okay, fresh start. Fresh start. Have you um, come to the place ever that you said, I, th- I think I just need to start something over? You know what I mean? Like you, you get... You get invested in a, in a house project. You're, you're renovating something or whatever, and it's just, it's just going from bad to worse. And I, you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of ruining my house while I'm trying to make it better. You know what I mean? And at some point, you may have to just step back and say, look, we're going to start this one over. We need to, we need to start it over. Um, how about when a discussion becomes a damaging argument? someone that you love or live with, good friend or spouse or something like that, when you realize we are saying things that are hurtful to one another and it may be a good time to say, we need to start this over. We didn't mean to get off the rails, but we are off the rails and we need to start some things over. I, I wanna just suggest to you today this idea of a fresh start is actually really healthy and good for us. How about this one? When an idea or a decision looked really good on paper, but then never really took off in real life. Has anybody experienced that? I mean, that, that just seemed like a great idea until you did it. And now you've got to decide, am I going to just keep going because I said we were going to do it? Or do we have to say, look, we're going to have to have a fresh start here. How about a church family that goes through a couple years of upheaval as they work through a pandemic, hypothetically speaking? When we say we need a fresh start, we're simply saying, yeah, we need God to help us. And this is, he is, this is the promise, right? He is the God of new beginnings. And so he is really good at taking things that have gotten messy or gotten off the rails or gotten corrupted in some way and saying, I'm going to redeem and restore and show you how to start that all over again. That's something, that, that idea may sound very fearful, but it's actually a promise of God's goodness. And in many ways, yes, we need a fresh start. I need a fresh start. You need a fresh start. We have a God of new beginnings. I also want to just make this observation for a moment. It's interesting that when we are young, uh, life is all about new beginnings. You know what I mean? When you're born, when you're like a newborn baby, you grow like a mutant. I think it's like, I mean, it's crazy. Like the the amount of growth and the changes that happen in your life. We learn as little kids like, like sponges. You know, in fact, I was even thinking about this. I think there's a reason that when, when children are, are really little, we measure them uh, time-wise in, in weeks and months, not years. Partly because it would be a little awkward to be like, this is my child, he's zero. Also because your life is rescripted and infinitely different from two months to ten months. You know, two months, you're basically at bodily functions and stuff like that. Ten months, you know, it's, it's algebra and archery and things. Our kids were advanced, but um, there's a world of difference that happens between two months and, and ten months. 
you know, you spend the first six months of existence in a very one-sided kind of relationship, but then you start to engage with your world, and new beginnings happen a ton. You have seen this. If you have raised children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren or you just know a child, you see how quickly their life is rescripted how much they're changing and learning and growing. It's new beginnings all the time. Walking, talking, playing, praying, learning, developing. Then they, they get to first day of school, first music lesson, first camp out, new beginnings, new beginnings, new beginnings, rescripting of life, and it doesn't really slow down for some time because then it's, I'm getting into my double digits and then it's teenage years and then it's high school and then it's driving and voting and college and career and your life is being rescripted all of the time when you're young. And then you stop being young. I was thinking about this. You, you stop being young, you get out into life, and then the, the new beginnings, they do still happen. You get married, get a kid, uh, change career, and then you retire. The point is, what used to be rescripting of your life every few weeks or months or whatever, now maybe years, maybe decades. We're not young anymore. Life no longer has a sense of a new beginning around every corner. In fact, I've also observed that the older we get, the more we tend to protect the old way of doing things that has become familiar to us. New beginnings can actually be seen as a threat to what is safe or familiar. Now, I'm making this observation not really with the point of saying, so therefore, stop being old or stop being young or stop, whatever. I mean, we are where we are in life, but be aware that we serve a God of new beginnings, that at every phase, this is one of the great joys of following Christ, that at every phase of your life, God may decide to say, I have some rescripting that I want to do. Now, that may be a little bit scary. I'm, I'm making the argument that's where the adventure happens. That's where faith grows. That's where God says, I'm going to call you into stepping into something new, a new vision, a new task, a new opportunity, a new faith venture, a new opportunity to trust me. And it doesn't matter if you're 75 years old. It doesn't matter if you're 85 years old. It doesn't matter if you're 17 years old. God's going to do some rescripting. That's actually a wonderful, wonderful promise. Anyway, I'm getting just a little bit off topic. But this is what the people of God are experiencing. And I'm going to dig into this just a little bit more in this second promise. But here we see the praises of God's people as they are celebrating a new thing. They're celebrating a new thing. New beginnings ancient foundations. The second point I want to look at with you today is look how God is the firm foundation. This is, a, this is a literal foundation that they're celebrating because it's something that they're excited about. And if you've been part of a building project, if you built the house that you live in, or if you, you know, even as a church here, we built this building many years ago. And then a few years ago, we added on to this building. It was kind of exciting when the dream was becoming something real, you know, and even if it was just a foundation, just a slab of concrete, it was like, whoa, 
we're, we're seeing progress now to that thing that we had been dreaming about. And that's exactly what God's people are experiencing. And so they're singing, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. So we celebrate milestones, right? We celebrate milestones all the time in our lives, whether it's a birthday, anniversary, an achievement, or a victory. The Old Testament, I've, I've heard this, read this, that the Old Testament shepherds were, have said as they led their sheep on their pasture, they would sing to them, thus far the Lord has led us. And I, I actually really love that image. You know, the, the, the shepherd and the sheep, and they're on this journey, and there's uncertainty, and there's difficulties, and there's wins, and there's losses, all that kind of stuff along, and yet to simply come back and say, thus far, yeah, the Lord has led us. There have been many nights where I'm uncertain, maybe feeling restless, decisions that have to be made, what are we going to do next, da, 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 da. you know, that's, you're doing those kind of things as well. What a joy to be able to step back and take a big breath and say, Thus far, the Lord has led us. I don't have all the answers. I don't know what's around the next turn, the next bend. But thus far, the Lord has led us. And when I recall that, when I bring those things to mind, it's like God just brings a certain assurance to my heart and to yours. God is our constant amidst change. Now, last week we had talked about this irony that the people of God are in the promised land by the time of the judges, right? So they have arrived, and all of the Old Testament was like, it's, it's all about trying to get to the promised land. You know, the early Old Testament, they're getting out of bondage, they're getting to the promised land, they're getting out of slavery, getting to the promised land. They're in the wilderness, but they're going to the promised land. Now they're in the promised land, but they're suffering from this self-inflicted poverty, because when Joshua brought them in, he says, look, his parting words, he said, you made it, now honor and obey the Lord. This is where Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? And so he's calling them to this, but they fail miserably to do this. And so this cycle of, of, of problems just continues to go. So we said last week when we were looking in the book of Judges at Gideon, that the book of Judges leaves us with a deep sense of, that the people of God, the leaders that he uses, and even the specific heroes like Gideon, they don't give us that final picture of faith and health. They are deeply flawed people, led by deeply flawed people who frequently turn back to the old paths of disobedience. I want you to think for just a moment at this moment, now if we fast forward from the time of the judges, then we go into the, the time of the kings, and then we go into the civil war, and then there's exile, and the people are gone, and now they've come back. All the things that they have seen, the changes that they have seen in these generations leading up to this point, bondage to freedom, freedom to wandering, wandering to promised land, victory to civil war, uh, disobedience, captivity, now a fresh start and a new beginning with God. And God has been the constant, the only constant perhaps in their story and sometimes the only constant in ours. When we look at the changes we have experienced, they probably pale in comparison to some of these bigger picture things, but they're substantial. 
And we have been left in many ways feeling somewhat disoriented or confused or not sure which end is up and all that kind of stuff. And yet, here's the second promise, that God is our constant. Alexander McLaren said this. He said, peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God. Your life has not been devoid of trouble in recent months, years, weeks, whatever, and it's not going to be. And yet peace does not come from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God. So we see a God of new beginnings. He's doing something new. The people are celebrating. We see that God has been the constant, the faithful one in this equation with his people and with us now. And then we come to this third point that I'd like us to touch on, which is just, this is what caught my attention when I was first reading through this. There is a, a mix of emotion in what I would call looking to God in joy and in sadness. It says, verse 12, many of the priests and the Levites, the heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation on this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shouting from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and that shout was heard far away. This is the part of this passage that gripped me on a winter day many months ago when I was thinking through this. Because the rejoicing, that makes a ton of sense to me. The people of God are celebrating his faithfulness and a new thing that he is doing. The weeping, well, this actually makes sense too. Because here we have people who are acknowledging what is is not what was. There is something that has been different. And I guess this is the thing that I find sort of interesting. I, I made a couple observations as I was thinking about this because as I, as I processed this in the spirit of rebuilding and then looking at this example that just seems so poignant to me, I sensed the Spirit of God say, this is a word for you and this is a word for your church. What is is not exactly what was. There have been changes. Things are different. If you would like to give me, a, if you'd like me to give you a sermon on how things are not ever gonna change, I'm not gonna ever be able to do that. Life is gonna change, whether we want it to or not. And yet to give people the space to celebrate the new work of God and to grieve the losses is vitally important if we're going to rebuild well, so I started writing down a couple of things, a couple just observations with this. Number one, I note that there was not a value assigned to the joyful or to the weeping. And that's kind of interesting because if I were to have scripted it, I probably would say, hey, all of these people that sort of get the new thing of God, they were over here celebrating, good folks, golden star, that's the way that they should be, making a, a noise to the Lord. And these people over here, they just couldn't see the new thing that God is doing. And so they're crying about what they don't have, and that's really unfortunate. They really need to grow up or whatever, but that's actually not what the scripture says. Now, some of you uh, a little more pessimistic, you would write the script in the opposite way. You would say, I think there's enough rejoicing happening currently. 
I think people need to be more in touch with the mourning. And these people got it right because they are grieving the loss of what they don't have anymore. And these people over here are being flippant and everything like that. And actually, that's not what the scripture says either. It doesn't place a value. It simply acknowledges that while some were celebrating, others were weeping. Is it possible that it's simply saying that both of these are valid? The second thing that it says is that there was not a clear distinction between the joy and the sadness. You couldn't really tell who was crying and who was cheering because the things had become so intermingled. And I, and I thought about this. I thought about us. I thought about you. thought about our own hearts and kind of what we're going through and realizing our hearts are kind of complex things. I don't know if you have felt, and I'll be vulnerable and tell you that I have felt this, and then some of you could at least nod and make me feel better about it so I don't feel too silly uh, being up here in front of you feeling a little naked or whatever. Uh, my heart doesn't always know what it wants. And, and, in the, and in recent weeks and months and years and everything else, there are times where I feel like I'm ready to celebrate, and then there's times I feel like I'm ready to weep. There's times I'm ready to run to the front lines of battle and say, let's go, and I feel courageous and brave, and there's sometimes I want to run and hide and quit. And sometimes all of that stuff is kind of going on in a conflicted way at the same time. And here we have Scripture basically saying, yeah, that sometimes that's how life is because it's complex. And I would, I would imagine that there were probably some people in this situation that are saying, I'm excited about the new foundation. I'm genuinely excited about the new thing that God is doing. And I'm genuinely grieving things that we don't have anymore that we used to have. And here in this passage of Scripture, we actually see sort of permission to have both. So I'm processing this, and I, and I kind of come to this third question. Is there an important invitation here? You know, some of us are, most of us, I would say, we're kind of so trained to do the, like, stiff upper lip thing. Like, as long as I can talk about grief as something like, I took care of that, I, I grieved, but I took care of it, and I'm, I'm better now. You know what I mean? then I feel like I'm more like in control of my life and then you don't have to sort of fix me and I don't have to fix you. But I think this idea, the invitation is that there is space given that we could say, no, I'm, I'm actually grieving that now. I can stay present tense in my relationship with Jesus and tell him the things that are going on in my own heart when and if I can understand them. I am not making a case here that we need to be muddled, you know, basket cases all of the time, I'm simply acknowledging that there will be times that our emotions are complex. There will be times, and I believe have been times, where we lash out at one another or we have a disagreement or something that has nothing to do with that other person. It has to do with the thing that I'm grieving or the loss that I'm feeling. It can be simply the fact that there are faces from our own church family that you haven't seen or I haven't seen for a year or two years I miss those people. You miss those people. Things don't feel the same. So you would say, yeah, Pastor, I'm, I'm excited about the new thing God wants to do. I'm excited. I, I want to be supportive. I want to keep a good stiff upper lip, but I, I'm sort of grieving at the same time. And here we have a scripture saying, yeah, there's, there's an invitation to meet God in both of these places. 
And I would actually summarize it this way. If grief is real, a real part of life that we don't have to ignore. And I, I think the farther along I go and the more I study Scripture, and like, yeah, it, it, grief is a real thing. I don't have to ignore that. I don't have to hide that. If grief is a real part of life and we don't have to ignore it, and if Scripture gives us permission to be real with our grief, is it possible that the invitation is God saying, I actually want to meet you, not just in your place of celebration, but in your places of grief? Sometimes we short-circuit the work of God simply by wanting to get more comfortable or getting somebody else more comfortable as soon as, as possible as opposed to simply saying, yeah, I'm in a place where I'm grieving some losses. I was not going to suggest today that we have a big public display of our grief. I would suggest that in your prayer closets and altars and places where you Meet with the Lord. There's an opportunity to just be honest about the things that you are grieving. Frederick Buechner said this. He said, it is not the objective proof of God's existence that we want, but the experience of God's presence. That's why we've been kind of hounding this so much, talking about the presence of God, the presence of God, ministering to the presence of God, rebuilding the upper room of prayer in your life. The reason we're going after that is because of this. It's not the objective proof of God's existence that we want, but the experience of God's presence. That is the miracle we are really after. And that is also, I think, the miracle that we really get. So that's why uh, October 16th in a couple of weeks, we're going to start our prayer encounter time. We're going to be meeting here on Sundays. We just want to teach you to pray. We want to teach you to go after the presence of God, and we want to do that together. And if that means we have a, a full sanctuary, we'll celebrate that. And if that means we got a half a dozen people that really want to go after it, we'll go after it with them. But Amy and I are looking forward to, to leading in that as we go after the, the presence of God, because that is what we are seeking. So here's what I'd like to do as we wrap this thing up. Uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to sing one uh, last song of worship. Uh, meeting God in celebration, that's kind of easy for most of us, or at least we get that pretty intuitively. You know, when we're worshiping God and celebrating him for his faithfulness and good things he's done, um, that's a great place to meet with the Lord. I want to simply encourage you as we move toward the end of this rebuilding time, that meeting God in your grief may be as equally important if we're going to be rebuilt into the church that, that God wants us to be. It may be equally important. And some of you are saying, yeah, but again, this, I'm so trained to not want to make other people uncomfortable, and I'm not going to get up in front of everybody and have my grief in that kind of way. Here's, here's what you're not doing when you say yes to, to meeting God in your grief. You're not whining. You're not complaining. You're not just airing your grievances. You're actually saying, in all honesty, this hurts, God. I am feeling this. And then don't miss this. Don't miss this. Every time we do this, every time we do this, we have the opportunity to say, God, this is where I am inviting you to bring your restoration 
right here. Right here. And then it stops becoming theory. It stops becoming a good idea. And starts becoming like the practical invitation for the divine restoration of God. Here. When we meet him in our places of worship and when we meet him in our places of grief. That's powerful. So I'm reading this on a winter day at a prayer retreat, and I just sense the Lord say, this is something for my people to hear. Make sure they get this. So let the Holy Spirit unpack that in your heart how he wants to. Um, why don't we do this? Uh, don't feel, I, I want to just pray for you, and then we'll, we'll just worship. And I kind of have this sense that as we, <laughs> as we worship, uh, meet God where you are. If you, if you brought your trumpet and cymbal, then make a big noise and uh, well, that, it'll be disruptive to you guys, but they'll, they'll be patient. That's fine. It's scriptural. Um, you know, meet God in celebration today. Awesome. But if you need to meet the Lord at your place of grief today, meet him there too. So Jesus, would you help us with that? We thank you for um, just seeing great men and, and women who have gone before us that have wrestled with a lot of the same things that we wrestle with. And uh, I, I sense, even as I was writing this message and, and you know, stirring in this area for a long time, it's just, it feels like this is an area that we don't always have a great sense of self-understanding. Like, like we, we wrestle to kind of get our heads and our hearts around what it means to be honest in our grief. And so even if it's just a simple place for those who are feeling that sense of grief to say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take these things to the Lord. Lord, today I'm feeling anxious about this. Lord, today I'm feeling a sense of loss over this and just naming those things. Uh, Lord, I'm feeling some disappointment in this area. Lord, there's some things that I no longer have that I'm missing. And so just would you guide us and help us, Holy Spirit, with that? Uh, that just seems like an area that we, we need your help uh, to do well. And then churches, as we worship, um, you know, meet the Lord. That's, that's the goal here today. Meet the Lord. He's waiting. He's got good stuff for us. And uh, if, uh, if you need to be here, you know, we have a place of prayer. The altar is a place of blessing, not a place of shame. So, you know, if you just say, hey, there's areas that I need to come and be with the Lord at the altar and invite his blessing, then we invite you to do that. We'll have people that can pray afterwards, but uh, yeah, we'll worship. So if you're able to stand, go ahead and do that. And uh, if you want to sit and want to just be quiet, that's fine too. But if you're ready, stand up, worship, and your team, you can take it away. <laughs>